Well, good morning. How are you today? Doing good? Good to be with you. And let me take a moment. I'll introduce myself. Um, I am Brian John. Uh, my wife, uh, Debbie, and I, we've been attending the bridge. It's been about uh, four months now that we've been here. So we know uh, some of you. We don't know all of you yet. Um, we do have uh, four children. We have uh, 14 grandchildren, if you can believe that. Um, we also, uh, we're not quite empty nesters yet. Uh, we do have a three-year-old still at home. Um, uh, she's pretty good most of the time, but, uh, to be honest with you, not all the time. Uh, but we love her anyway, so I'll introduce to you our Millie. Uh, go ahead and show you a picture of our Millie here, guys. There she is. Our three-year-old Shih Tzu dog. Uh, she's a lot of fun, and she keeps us young, so uh, we wanted to make sure you knew who Millie was. Um, I completed a chaplain residency uh, at Luther Hospital in August of this past year. Um, that was a good experience for me, a lot of learning that went on there. And uh, prior to that time, I'd spent uh, a lot of years in pastoral ministry in, in the Chippewa Valley, uh, Halley area. And uh, that was a great experience, about 20 years uh, pastoring there and had some time before that. So uh, that's where life has taken me, and it's uh, kind of where life takes me here today. And uh, we're glad to be here today, and it's good to be able to worship the Lord together. Appreciate the songs that were selected and all. And I, I do appreciate your pastor. Uh, appreciate him giving me the opportunity to, uh, uh, to share God's Word with you here today. Uh, we want to do that, so uh, let me start with uh, the song you may the lyrics of a song that you may know of. Imagine there is no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us, only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. They say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you will join us and the world will live as one. Imagine there is no country it isn't hard to do, nothing to kill or die for, no religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you will join us and the world will live as one. Imagine no possessions. I wonder if you can. No need for greed or hunger, the brotherhood of men. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you will join us and the world will live as one. Are you familiar with those lyrics? Those are the lyrics of, uh, uh, to an old Beatles song uh, written by John Lennon entitled Imagine, written about 1971. Uh, and in his song, he proposed the day when or envisioned the day when the world would, would live as one, when everyone would be in harmony, there'd be no hell below us, no heaven above. People would just live for today, uh, no country, no war, no killing. Everything is peaceful, no hunger. People sharing throughout the world, and uh, religion and politics, they would all be dismissed. Then we would live as one. That was his vision. The question is, is it possible for the world to live in perfect harmony, live as one without any differences, without any arguments, 
uh, without any greed, without any selfishness, where people get along all the time. Is it possible to have that kind of existence in the world today? And should we be concerned about that? Should we be upset about it that we don't see it happening today? I think the answer to that question is no, at least not in this world. And the reason for that is that we live, we live in a sin-cursed world, a world in which there is evil present all around us, falsehood, sin, wickedness. Uh, it's very prevalent and we have to deal with it. We have to face it. It's on every side of us. And so uh, John Lennon, he was a dreamer, all right. But uh, the, dream, uh, the reason his dreams would never come true uh, was because, at least not in this world, is because we live in that kind of a world. It's not because of religion. It's not because of politics. It's not because of economics. It's because we live in a sin-cursed world in which evil is present. It is a world in which there are evil forces at work all around us. And Jesus did say that as time continues on, um, evil men, seducers are going to increase all the more. So the question before us this morning is this. How can we live for truth in a world of error? How can we live for truth in a world where there's conflicting ideas, conflicting beliefs, moral relativism, where truth and error, the difference between them is not always so obvious. There's right and wrong, normal and abnormal. And how do we make judgments in this kind of a culture? Well, that's what we want to talk about here this morning. And that's what the burden of the writer in First John chapter 4, that was his burden as he shares with his audience, his readers, that they would be able to live for truth in their world. So we're going to bring up First John chapter 4. If we could, and we're going to read it together. Why don't you stand with me? Let's just take a stretch here one more time. And uh, let's read First John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And I'm going to ask you to read out loud with me uh, as we go through this passage of Scripture, okay? Let's read together. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God. And have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and spirit of falsehood. Thank you. you. May be seated. And so John gives us these verses to help us know how to live for truth uh, and discern the spirit of error. These verses tell us how it is possible to do that. Uh, he says so himself. He says, this is how you will know. Aren't you thankful that God has given us some insight on how we can know 
what we know is true. We don't have to go through life saying, well, I wonder, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm hoping, I'm guessing. But he actually has given us something more concrete than that. He's actually saying to us, this is how you can know. And so we want to see how it is that we can know by looking at some principles that John gives us in the text. First John chapter 4. There are three, three principles uh, that are contained uh, in these verses to help us live for truth in a world of error. And here's the first principle. It is this. Every follower of Christ needs to be a person of discernment. <clears throat> if you're going to be a follower of Christ, you, you must of necessity be a person of discernment. Uh, there's nothing virtuous, there's nothing uh, godly or spiritual about uh, being open to anything and everything that comes down the pike. Uh, just because it uh, sounds spiritual or just because it has the name Christian in it, that doesn't mean you have to just take it in hook, line, and sinker, right? Now, there's no doubt, there's no doubt here as we read First John 4 that uh, the author, John, has the, in mind the false teachers who had left his church. He had had some false teachers who had infiltrated his church and uh, they had brought forth some, some errors, some bad doctrine, some wrong teaching about Jesus. We, uh, these individuals later became known as Gnostics. Uh, the word Gnostic means in the know. So these, uh, these uh, individuals thought they had superior knowledge. They thought they were in the know and they knew something that nobody else knew. And so they're bringing forth their truth. And uh, what these Gnostics were saying was that they no longer believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. At one point in time they did, but now they were saying, no, that's not true. They were saying that uh, Christ came on Jesus at his baptism, and then after uh, coming on at his baptism, uh, Christ left Jesus before he died on the cross. That was their Christology. That's what they believed about Jesus Christ. And John is saying, he's telling his readers, you have the responsibility to be a discerning person. It isn't good enough that you go to a discerning church. Uh, it isn't good enough that you get advice from a discerning person. You have a responsibility to be a discerning person yourself. Uh, when I was doing my, my residency uh, at uh, Luther Hospital, this chaplain residency I was a part of, one of the requirements was to do a book report uh, on, on suffering and the relationship that God has with human suffering. Well, I have some books on my shelf about suffering, but I thought I would see a little bit what's out there, and so I decided to pull a book off uh, the shelf of the Spiritual Care Department and, and read on it. It was a book by Robert Hall. The book was entitled uh, God and Suffering. Well, let me just say this to you that if I accepted everything the author had to say, I would be standing before you today and I would be telling you that there is no such thing as original sin. I would be telling you that Adam did not sin or Adam's sin did not get passed on to us. I would be saying there is no such thing as original sin. And I would also be telling you that 
because there is no such thing as original sin and that sin being transmitted onto us, as Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 has to say, that when Jesus died on the cross, he did not die for your sins or my sins. There was no substitutionary death. There was no atonement for sin. It wasn't what the cross of Jesus Christ was all about. What the cross of Jesus Christ was about was God, uh, or Jesus entering into human suffering and, and identifying with our suffering because uh, human actualization is found through suffering. And so suffering is a part of human life. And as you suffer and identify with others in suffering, that's how we love one another. See what I'm saying? If I would have if I would have gone into that study and just sort of opened my mind up to believe anything and everything, whatever is being said, I would have made shipwreck of my faith. And so it's very, very important that we understand the importance of being a person of discernment. And that's why John would tell us in his text, uh, if you bring the text up one more time, backtrack to it unless you got it in your scripture you can open it up it, it says uh, in verse one do not believe what every spirit he's very emphatic about that he's saying don't believe every spirit you have to use discernment and he would say but test the spirits to see whether they are from god Don't be gullible. Don't be spiritually naive. Don't just open yourself up to anything and everything. And the word test means to examine. It means to approve, uh, to prove something, whether it's true or not. Uh, The word was used of metal that was taken through a fire. And after going through that fire, uh, that fire revealed uh, the purity and the, the strength of the metal that was put through the fire. Um, I read recently about a a young American engineer uh, who was uh, sent to Ireland. Uh, He was sent there by his company. He was going to work in a new electronics plant. And uh, it was a two-year assignment that he's being sent on. And uh, he he accepted it because he wanted uh, to make enough money to earn enough to marry his longtime girlfriend. And so he took the job. His uh, girlfriend, she had a job uh, near her hometown in Tennessee, and uh, their plan was to pool the resources together and then have enough for a down payment for a home when, uh, when he returned. Uh, well, they, they corresponded often, but as the uh, lonely weeks went by, she began expressing some doubts and, and some concerns that she had uh, that, you know, he was uh, being true to her and that, uh, you know, he's being exposed to these Irish girls and he's, she's thinking, boy, he's going to fall in love with one of them and and so she's starting to get uh, somewhat nervous about that. And uh, she expressed her doubts in the uh, young engineer he wrote back uh, with passion. And he said he was absolutely paying no attention to the local girls. He said, no, I'm not. I'm being true to you. But he did say, he said, I'll, I'll admit, he said that uh, sometimes I'm tempted. But he said, you know, I fight it. I, I'm keeping myself for you. So after having said that in the next uh, Mail, the engineer received a package, and it contained a note from his, his girlfriend, and it uh, also contained a harmonica. And uh, she said, I'm sending this to you so you can learn to play it and have something to take your mind off, off those, uh, those girls. Uh, and 
uh, he wrote back and he said, uh, he said, thanks for the harmonica. I'm practicing it every night and I'm thinking of you while I practice it. Well, at the end of the uh, two-year stint, uh, the engineer was transferred back to company headquarters. He took the uh, first plane to Tennessee uh, to be reunited to his love. And uh, her whole family was there with her. But as, she, uh, as he rushed forward uh, to, em- to embrace her, uh, she held up a restraining hand. And, uh, she said, uh, just hold on there a minute, uh, uh, Billy Bob. Uh, before there's any uh, serious kissing and hugging uh, going on here, let me hear you play the harmonica. Oh, she's saying, she's saying, let's put this thing to a test, all right? Let's see if it's really true. I want to believe you, but let me hear you play. And so she wanted to test his integrity, right? She wanted to test whether it was really true what he was saying. And, uh, and as we translate that into our text, this idea of testing, the idea is one of approving, uh, demonstrating to be true, to where John does not want his readers to be taken in by false teachers. They were to test the spirits. And uh, the word test is in the form of a command. It is a, it is a, a present imperative. It means to be continually testing. It means you never come to a point in time in your life when you do not have to test the spirits. It's to be an ongoing part of life. And the reason why he says to test the spirits is why. Can you see why? Tell me why. Because many, read it, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. That's the reason for the test. A plethora of false prophets, false teachers is present in the world. Therefore, what you need to do is you need to be actively, presently, continuously testing the spirits that are out there. Now, isn't it interesting that he says, test the spirits? You get that? He doesn't say, uh, test the teacher or test the teaching, though that's part of it. Certainly, that's something we need to be doing. But he doesn't say that. He specifically says, test the spirits. That's where the emphasis is put. And why does he say that? And I think the answer is because ultimately, ultimately, this is a spiritual battle that we're, that we're in, folks. There are unseen spiritual forces at work behind the scenes exerting their influence in the world. Do you believe that? It's true. There are unseen spiritual forces at work. I'll just give you one example. You remember uh, before Jesus went to the cross, he was communicating uh, to his disciples clearly about this. And, And Peter's reaction to that was to say, not so, not so, Lord. Peter wasn't into that kind of program at all. And what did Jesus say to that? Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan, for you don't savor, you don't care for the things of God. You know, if you were Peter, you probably would have felt like, you know, falling into a deep hole at that time and just hiding. I mean, can you imagine getting that kind of rebuke? But what was Jesus saying? There was a spirit behind that. There was some kind of influence that was going on 
And uh, Jesus identifies that, and he calls it what it is. And what I'm saying is this. There are spiritual forces at work behind the scenes, and therefore the command is one of testing the spirits. There are two categories of spirits operating in the world. The first is the Holy Spirit. Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit as the spirit of truth uh, in uh, John uh, chapter 16. Let's bring up the text. If we could uh, forward just a little bit. Okay, look at this. Jesus says this. I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. Okay, so if you look at that, And Jesus promises, you know, the spirit of truth is going to be coming, the spirit of God. After he's gone, he's going to send the Holy Spirit. And this spirit is going to have a very active ministry. And there are two ministries that the Holy Spirit will be having in the world when he comes. Do you see what they are? Well, number one, we can say this. The second one is that verse 14, he will do what? He will bring glory to who? He will bring glory to Jesus. Okay, and so you can pretty much test a lot of what is going on here today, whether the spirit of God is uh, is at work in that or not, is is this. Does it bring glory to Jesus Christ? Because the the role of the Holy Spirit would be one of bringing glory to him. But there's a second ministry the Holy Spirit would have. And what is that? When he comes, Jesus said, he will guide you into all truth. He's he's speaking to his disciples And he would later tell his apostles that he would send the promise of the Spirit in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. And so these disciples who later would become apostles under the enablement of the Holy Spirit would write the truth that was revealed to them. That truth we have in a book that we hold in our hands. And this book is a, is a manual for truth. It's a depository of truth, truth that has been given to the church. And that's why uh, in the New Testament, the church is referred to as what? The pillar and the ground of the truth. Okay? And so the word of God is a manual for truth. And it's been given to us. And we have an obligation, a responsibility uh, to do something with this word that God has given. And, and this word tells us how to, how to be reconciled to God. It, it tells us how to live for God. It tells us essential truths of living that we need to know. And so the Bible would tell us that God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. And the Holy Spirit was used to give us this truth. And so that's why Jesus could say, sanctify them through the truth. Thy word is truth. And that is why, by the way, the Bible is emphasized here uh, by your pastor and by the leaders of the church because they, they recognize the importance of truth. And God's word is truth. That's why you're encouraged to be in God's word every day because this word is truth. And so we have on the one hand the Holy Spirit who is referred to as the spirit of truth. You also have Satan who is the father of lies and the demonic spirits that are associated with him. And so in John eight forty four, let's bring that text up. Uh, it says this, you belong to your father. Now, Jesus is speaking some pretty, pretty strong words here to the scribes and Pharisees. 
Uh, he says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. Uh, when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and he is the father of lies. So Jesus doesn't hold, hold any punches, does he? I mean, he tells it just like it is, and, and he identifies uh, uh, the, the spirit world and that there is, there is a devil in the world and there are forces that are united with him. And so we see in Genesis chapter 3, we see Satan coming down to tempt the woman in the garden. And uh, what does he say to her? He, he questions uh, what God has said to her and even the, the goodness of God. And would a good God tell you that you can't eat of, a, of that tree? Uh, forget the fact that there are, uh, you know, uh, 101 trees that you can eat of, but that one you can. And so, you know, focusing on that and, and questioning the goodness of God and whether God is really... Uh, having your best interest in mind and and maybe god isn't as good as who he says he is and maybe god doesn't care for you like he uh like he claims he does care for you and uh, he's holding back from you and you can know more than what you do know if you just go ahead and just disobey him your life will be better if you disobey god than if you follow god in your life because he's holding back on you uh, you're not going to die. God says you're going to die. I'm, but I'm telling you the truth. You're not going to die. Uh, your life will be better. Give in to the temptation. And friends, his tactics have not changed any. It's still the same today. Uh, he's still uh, purporting his lies. He's still doing what he can to bring forth contradiction to what God says and to distort the truth and even deny the truth. Uh, he's opposed to what is true. He's opposed to what is right. Uh, and uh, we're not to be ignorant of his devices uh, or spiritually naive. There's a good, a good passage on spiritual discernment in Hebrews chapter 5. Let me just bring that up. I'll just show it to you real quick here, and then we need to move along. Uh, he says this, uh, We have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain. Right? He's saying, but there's a, lot of th- there's a lot of things that I want to tell you, a lot of information I want to give to you, a lot of spiritual truth here. But he says, uh, it's hard to explain. And the reason it's hard to explain is this, because you are slow to learn. Uh, one of the translations says, uh, because you are dull of hearing. You're struggling to get it. Uh, there's a reason for that. In fact, though, by this time, he says you ought to be teachers. He's saying you ought to be further along right now than where you are. There's something, there's something wrong here. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. And so they're kind of like going over the same territory again and again and again and again. Uh, there's no movement forward. It's, it's kind of like getting back to the ABCs of spirituality again and again and again. He says you need milk, not solid food. I can't give you more than you're getting. You're, you're spiritually infantile here. He says, uh, let's go on. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have done what? Have done what? Trained themselves to distinguish between, or to distinguish good from evil. That's discernment. It's the ability to distinguish, to differentiate between good and evil. And he's saying, he's saying you, haven't, you haven't come to that yet. You're still struggling big time with that. What's the problem? What's the problem? The, the problem is the very opposite of what John is wanting his readers to experience in 1 John chapter 4. He doesn't want his readers to be dull of hearing. He doesn't want his readers to be slow of learning. 
He wants them to be maturing, to, to be able to take the word of righteousness and to be, be able to compare ideas and thoughts and, and what they're hearing and be able to come back to that and say, hey, this, this doesn't check out right. This isn't, this isn't what, my, what my Bible tells me. There, there's something wrong with this. It's, it's inconsistent. There's, there's a lack of integrity with that statement. See? And so you and I, we have all sorts of ideas coming at us the question is this are you becoming more discerning are you growing in maturity uh did you function honestly did you function this past week in a discerning way you had all sorts of ideas presented to you did you grow in discernment i might even say did you take time to to get into the scripture uh, the word of righteousness when you heard something and 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 apply this word to your life and to something that you were doing or something that you heard how about the way you spent your time? Does the way you live this past week demonstrate the fact that you are growing in discernment? Okay? Every follower of Christ needs to be a person of discernment. And we're going to go really fast now because we want to hunker down that first point, And uh, we're just going to go quickly through the last two. So you can get the points and then you can uh, do something with them as you and I would do some of them as we leave. So second, second point is this. The key for discernment is to keep Christ at the center. Keep Christ at the center. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God, uh, he tells us in, in the text, verse 2. Um, and how is that? Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. So that's how you can tell the difference. What is, what is it, uh, and what does it teach? What does it say? What is this spirit concerning Jesus Christ. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God speaks the truth about Jesus Christ. What John is saying is that everything centers around the person of Christ. He is the sum. He is the substance of theology. He is the central focus of all the Scripture. It all points towards him. He is a true God. The eternal God. God manifest in human flesh. Humanity and deity fused together in one eternal person, never to be separated. That's who Jesus Christ is. Christology is about his life. It's how he lived, the sinless life that he lived, how he's impeccable and how he always uh, honored his father and, and lived for him, was led by the Spirit of God, even into a wilderness uh, to be tempted. But he was there, and everything about him is true as the Scripture would present it to us. And then he would die a substitutionary death. He would die not for himself but for others. And, and the, the death, the burial, the resurrection, his ascension to heaven, it is all true. It's all true of him. The gospel message is all about him. You, you may believe some things about somebody that uh, may be wrong, but it won't affect you that much. But you cannot believe wrong things about him. If you do, it's to your own peril. It's to my peril. We can't believe anything we want about him. If your beliefs about him are wrong, your faith is wrong. And you could be in great peril because there is nothing more important in all of life than to have the right thoughts about God's Son and to be in a personal relationship with him. There's nothing more important in all of life. It's important to be a discerning person. But it's impossible to be a discerning person if you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. That's where it begins. There has never been and there never will be anyone like him. Do you realize that? I'm talking about Jesus Christ, God's son. 
There will never be anyone, never has been anyone like him. He's the Holy Son of God. He's at the center of it all. Is he at the center of your life? Does your life revolve around the knowledge of him? You see, a key to discernment is to ask the question, is that idea or teaching consistent with the person or teaching of Jesus Christ? Is it pleasing to him? Could I believe that and still give my allegiance to him? Could I do that and still give my allegiance to him? Could I think that and still give my allegiance to him? Could I say that and still demonstrate my allegiance to him? To Jesus Christ as my Lord. And then thirdly, ultimately, uh, the indwelling Holy Spirit is the one who makes discernment possible. The indwelling Holy Spirit is the one who makes it possible. In verse 4, it says, You, dear children, are from God, and you have overcome them. Overcome who? Overcome the false teachers. Those believers still in John's congregation, they had been overcomers. Uh, They had overcome the world, the world of Gnostics, the world of false teaching, uh, the wrong doctrine that was being propagated. They had overcome them. And the reason for they had overcome them is not because they were super smart or because of anything like that. The reason John says they overcome was because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Who is the one who is in you? It's the Holy Spirit, the dwelling Holy Spirit. He is the one who is in you. So they had the, the Holy Spirit of God, the powerful, almighty, dynamic Spirit of God living within them who enabled them to overcome when some others were being caught in and leaving the faith and accepting wrong beliefs about Jesus. So maybe you're saying, how can I ever be a discerning person with all of the conflicting positions? And the answer to that question is, the one in you is greater than the one in the world. That's, that's how you can do it. Um, you may recently have come to Christ. You may not be a seminary graduate. But you have the same Holy Spirit living within you if you know Christ. I want you to remember the context here then. The false teachers had left John's church and they had taken some people with them. And these people uh, didn't have the spirit of Christ within them. That's why they went. That's why they bought into this. But you do. If you know Christ. and And so in the final analysis, he's the reason they were not led astray. And he's living within us as followers of Christ, enabling us to be the discerning person we need to be in a world of error. So as parents with the dawning task of raising children who want to follow God, concerned about that, remember the one in you is greater than the one in the world. As Christian husbands and as Christian wives being pulled in every direction by the, by the many demands placed upon you and the pressures that Uh, This puts on your marriage. I would say to you, remember the one in you is greater than the one in the world. As uh, high school or college students, college students in a secular university where the 
difference between truth and error is not always easily distinguishable. Remember, the one in you is greater than the one in the world. That's the encouragement that John wants to give. His power abides in us. The truth of God abides in us. The life of God abides in us. The wisdom and love of God abides in us. Everything that God is abides in us. So we can be encouraged in our attempt to live for God in a culture where there is falsehood and error at every corner. So in conclusion, do you see the need of being a discerning person? Do you see the need? My prayer is that we would be individuals who know the truth, we love the truth, and we would even tell the truth, always tell the truth, even when we are under pressure because we love the Lord and we have a desire to live for the truth, for his glory. All right? All right, let's stand together and we'll pray. Thank you, Father, for your precious word. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Uh, who makes it possible for us to live for truth in, in this world. And so as we battle for truth and as we live this truth out, may it be evident through our lives that we are people who care about you, we are people who love you, and that, Lord, you might use us as, as a people who would shine forth for you in a, uh, in a very dark world at times and where people need to see the truth of Christ living through us. May these be, uh, things be so as we want to pray to you today in Jesus' name, amen.